I just, I want the record to show that Tugi has not given me any heads up of anything that's happening today. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be fun. As is tradition, my friend, <laughs> as is tradition. Welcome back, everybody, to the second Turnbuckle podcast. It has been a little while since we have joined you for a wrestling-based conversation, and that is because the end of 2023 was incredibly busy. Uh, mm-hmm. I I went off and got married. Which Wait, is, what? what? I know. I know. Oh, I went you. off and got married. Uh, then there was the holiday season. It was just a very busy time. We we missed so much. We uh, missed Pepsi, you. And we missed you. <laughs> Pepsi Man returned to WWE, and uh, there's been everything in between that's happened over the last few months. But as we rejoin you here... While we will talk about some of the more modern stuff, we're here to reminisce mm-hmm. about the glory days. They'll pass you by glory days because Crash, that is what you and I have discussed over the last little bit is that we most enjoy getting to talk about the older stuff. I think I think we've talked about it on stream too. Like when you put in, when you factor in AEW, WWE, I mean, TNA is back, Impact, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, uh, New Japan. Yeah. There's like 143 hours of wrestling per week. <laughs> per week. <laughs> and that's without the pay-per-views. So mm-hmm. uh, there's, just, there's just not enough time to right. keep up with the new stuff unless, like, I still read the dirt sheets. I still try and keep, into you know, my finger on the pulse. But I'm not going to watch um, Ash by Design, you know, the former Dana Brooke debut in TNA. I, I love mm. Dana Brooke. Don't get me wrong. I got better things to do than to to sit through three hours on a Monday and then two hours of t- uh, NXT on Tuesday. And mm-hmm. then uh, just like just w- every just WWE alone is a lot now. Yeah. Obviously, it's it's Royal Rumble season. Season more on more on that in a moment. Ooh. But like you mentioned, there's what seven hours of mainline programming a week for WWE between Raw, NXT, and SmackDown without um, a premium live event. Right, right, um, and obviously. There's a lot of interesting things going on with that company that we haven't really been able to talk about over the last couple of months, and we're not going to get heavily into anyway. I mentioned CM Punk coming back. Um, you have uh, a perhaps a new head of the table interrupting the story being finished. I just want to um, point out that when we were talking about Cody Rhodes, I believe last WrestleMania season, season, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that I talked about The Rock going after the head of the table. <laughs> just just gonna throw it, whatever. Yeah. Um I don't really have thoughts one way or another, at least at this point, in regards to what they do. I will say if they go with the rock over Cody Rhodes, then a lot of our concerns that we aired last year in our post WrestleMania show would have turned out to be incredibly accurate. Uh, but we don't know yet, right? And that's a part of the excitement and the rumble and you know, who might show up? What's the status of Mercedes Monet, Sasha Banks? What's the status? You mentioned New Japan of Kazuchika Okada. 
who announced that he is leaving the company. And while his contract apparently doesn't end until the end of January, and he has dates for New Japan up through the end of February, it's not out of the realm of possibility that guy could show up at the Royal Rumble. It's mm-hmm. just not. Business is business. That could have been the deal. Is, hey, you allow him to show up at the Rumble. We'll let him do those final dates for you in February, and we call it square. Could be done. No problem. I mean, that's wrestling. He could very well be AEW bound. AEW. We don't even know what's happening with MJF as much as we think, as much as there's rumors, as much as there's, you know, talk that he has resigned. Could you imagine he one offs in the Royal Rumble and then goes and resigns with AEW? (laughs) (laughs) It would be tremendous. It would be so If anybody were to do that, it would be him. Let's be honest. Yeah. And on the AEW front, we, of course, are going to be heading to one North Kakalaki at the beginning of March, as you and I will both be attending AEW Revolution 2024, featuring Sting's final match, potentially against the Young Bucks from the looks of it. Also, Wrestling Observer reporting today that Will Ospreay is scheduled to be on that pay-per-view as he's going to start up as a regular on AWTV in February, apparently. Um, that card's going to be insane. Like, we made the decision pretty early on, hey, let's get tickets for, like, 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. And if we can make the trip, then cool. And if not, we flip the tickets. And that was a very good decision because they are over 15,000 tickets sold for that event we already have everything secured so that is going to be a very fun trip at the beginning of march that we are going to talk about i get that it's it's not like upper tier but Mm -hmm. you sent me i think you sent me a text might have been a tweet um roderick strong versus orange cassidy Mm -hmm. i get it's not elite level booking or like top but holy crap is that ever going to be an amazing match Mm mm-hmm it should be on paper. It should be. <laughs> I, but, I'm uh, ready to sit in that arena for five hours. Yeah. Just having the time of my life. I'm actually like, I don't even know. You you kind of put everything all together and you, you, you try and plan it out in your head, how everything's going to shake down and everything. Like, I don't even know the feelings of sting walking down the ramp. Right. Uh, having what it could be the worst match he's ever had but then Mm. knock on wood (laughs) Mm. um but then the end of it as well like i bet you we're there for an hour at the end of that match that has to be the main event as well like you don't put sting's retirement match second or third last or mid card or open with it you that's that's got to be the main event hundred percent. Yeah, and I don't think there'll be any rush for us trying to get out of that arena either. <laughs> to be honest, I mean that'll I can see just be... you and I just sitting there, just like, huh, mm. <laughs> just absorbing it. Just you know, we'll record a reaction podcast from the stands Ooh. of the Greensboro Coliseum. <laughs> Ooh, maybe that would be something. Who's or round say? one sponsorship. There you go. <laughs> the uh, ultimate bowling experience that we're oh. planning on hitting up. <laughs> I'm excited for it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you talked about <laughs> it so much. I know how excited you are for it. 
I know more about that bowling alley than the the, the ones in town where I live. <laughs> I love it. Well, crash today. Yes, I told you that I had today's show planned out, and I do mm-hmm. because typically our highlight of every episode that we had done was less about the current stuff and more about looking back in the history of wrestling. Mm -hmm. And if you do so throughout the month of January, you will see a lot of Royal Rumbles. Mm -hmm. And obviously it leads. You're going to go, go. I have, I'm, I'm afraid. (laughs) It leads to a lot of talk about the history of the Royal Rumble. And I had an idea kicking around that admittedly I was beat to the punch on. Mm-hmm. I need to shout out Cultaholic Wrestling on the YouTube side of things, mm-hmm. who did beat me to the punch video-wise before we could record this, but I am still going to run with the idea at the risk of coming off as a copycat. I highly recommend you check out their video on this, because today, Mr. Crash Andrews, mm-hmm. we are going to be ranking the best matches in Royal Rumble history okay i thought you were gonna sporacle me there for a second not quite. <laughs> running through like oh my god uh triple h roman reigns uh edge uh stone cold Shawn michaels bret hart lex luger can you because lex like you know you called them co-winners i guess right indeed you would yeah so matches or royal rumble matches both Ugh. so what i have done <laughs> is gone through cage matches rankings of the top 32 matches to have ever taken place at a Royal Rumble. Um, My initial barometer for this was anything rated over a seven in which there are 50 matches on the dot with at least a 7.00 rating. Uh, But obviously, if you don't do 32, you got to do 64. So we had to lump off some of those matches. Um. I do need to note that there are, however, in the history of the Royal Rumble, five events to not feature a single match with a seven rating or higher. (laughs) I like it. And I wanted to quickly go over these. Uh, The 1989 Royal Rumble from the summit in Houston, Texas, highlighted by the Royal Rumble match itself, a 6.08 which was won by Big John Stud. Um a very mm-hmm. a very weak card to say the least. It wasn't even a pay-per-view, I'm quite That's sure. That's what I was going to say. Like the, the first handful were not highlighted as their own event. They were like, "Hey, we're we're doing a show at this place." Like right. um Hacksaw Jim Duggan, the original winner. That mm-hmm. wasn't a Royal Rumble pay-per-view. That was just a Royal Rumble at another event. Yeah, I think it was a special on the USA Network live from the Cops Coliseum in Hamilton, Hamilton Ontario, Ontario. if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) (laughs) The Prestige. Yeah. The second, you had to jump forward five years, the 1994 Royal Rumble from Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, The highest rated match was the tag team title match at a 6.87 between the Quebecers and the Hart brothers, Brett and Owen. Ooh, 
Did that lead to the? That was on that the, the, the match on the path, right? That was on the path to Owen and Brett at X at ten. That was was that kick your leg out of your leg? I think it was. No, that was Survivor Series. Oh, you're right. That was Survivor because Series. Because Owen was the only, I think Owen was the only one who was eliminated. And you yep. still had Bruce and Keith. <laughs> 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 that that made it. And they were yep. celebrating. And there's Owen pissed off. And yeah, right. I just kicked your leg out of your leg. And then obviously Brett goes on to be co-winners of the Rumble with Lex Luger later on that night as well. Right. And another match. It was at least over a six, but not quite at that seven threshold. We skip forward only two years. Hold 19. Okay, hold on. I, I, I want to line this up a little bit more because Survivor Series would have been October, November. November of 93 in Boston, Massachusetts at the Boston right. Guard. And then they kind of reconciled. Yeah. And then this, the this may have been actually where Owen turns. I think it is, yeah. Um, because cause the way that it would line up, like... Survivor Series wouldn't have been after this. It would have been before. Mm-hmm. So they were still planting seeds to this. He turns. I, think I don't know if we get a match in between. Well, I mean, like, there was always the feud, and they were always fighting and everything like that, but I think the first match was because Luger and Hart both got a chance at Yokozuna at WrestleMania mm-hmm. 10, and they gave Owen... Or Brett yeah, Owen. Brett and Owen didn't start. have their first match until Mania 10. Right. Okay. I think I you're over backwards this. in my head when we were talking. <laughs> the 1996 Royal Rumble highest rated match on the card was the main event as The Undertaker took on Bret Hart for the WWF title in a match that went 28 minutes and ended via disqualification. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. yeah you should never finish a pay-per-view with a disqualification or a double count out or it, it it should have a winner right now if that means flipping jay uso shows up out of nowhere <laughs> and helps get a win it's still a win at least it's not a disqualification or a you know or a count out or whatever. I think once you're at a pay-per-view, it should be a it should be a clear-cut winner, regardless how they got there. You have to fast forward 10 years for another defined weaker card. The 2006 Royal Rumble is yet another match or another card without a seven or higher rated match. Uh the highest rated match on the card was the Royal Rumble match won by Rey Mysterio. Um, of course, uh, eliminating Randy Orton last, and that leads to the buildup and them having the triple threat. Uh, the rest of that card was interesting because the Royal Rumble was the fourth match of six. Immediately after it, John Cena regained the WWE title over Edge after Edge had won it like two or three weeks before, cashing in Money in the Bank. <laughs> and then the main event of the 2006 Royal Rumble was a seven-minute match where Kurt Angle retained the World Heavyweight title over Mark Henry. Seven minutes. What a weird goddamn card, especially when you had Rey Mysterio going over an hour in the Royal Rumble. Uh, it, to me, it's amazing that Rey Mysterio wouldn't... Rey Mysterio winning the Royal Rumble, because he... Correct me if I'm wrong here, too. 
he was an early entrant, if not not one, but maybe two. I think he was two. Yeah. So yeah. for him to go the entire way, and this is this is during like the Daniel Bryan push years before, but Rey Mysterio had that same mystique around him right. heading into this match. Everybody wanted to see him as world champion. He had to win the Royal Rumble basically to have a shot, and he wins it. And it's not a seven to me is a head scratcher. Maybe the well, match itself was terrible, <laughs> but like the emotion around it was easily like over an eight. I think the issue is you look at people who were in that Royal Rumble and no yeah, disrespect sure. to any of these people, but in terms of star power, some of the names in that rumble, Viscera, Trevor Murdoch, <laughs> Tatanka, Sylvain Granier, Super Crazy, Simon Dean, Road Warrior Animal, Jonathan Coachman. <laughs> Not the strongest field. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And the the fifth and final rumble that didn't have one of those seven or higher matches was the 2012 rumble, uh, which was highlighted in terms of highest rating by the world heavyweight title match, or actually the WWE title match, I think, uh, between CM Punk and Dolph Ziggler. Uh, this was also the year that Sheamus won the Royal Rumble leading up to the uh, Daniel Bryan opener at mm. WrestleMania 28. Can we never talk about that match ever again on this podcast? I'd prefer. Yeah, <laughs> I would prefer. Shout out so to uh, Nick Mammoth because we didn't mention he's jumped over to TNA in the, sure in the has. recent history recap. Um, a CM Punk Dolph Ziggler match should be tremendous, but like looking back, they just they never reached that star power to make that a main event. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a John Cena versus anybody. It's not JBL versus Eddie Guerrero. Like, yeah, two great workers. Uh, Dolph Ziggler would make CM Punk look like an absolute wrestling god. Mm. No pun intended to uh, talking about JBL. (laughs) But, yeah, uh, that as a a main event match, looking back, um, doesn't doesn't quite do as much as some of the other matches that you have mentioned that still didn't get a seven. So in terms of what we're going to do here, it's going to be tournament style. Mm -hmm. One, you know, higher seed versus lower seed. And we are going to choose what match we prefer. Our definitive winner. So that's the thing, right? You can look at it from the perspective of what is just a better match quality wise. You can right. look at it from the perspective of what match do you prefer? What match do you have fonder memories for? There's a lot of different ways to yep. judge these and to look at them. And I think the way I'm going to approach this is what match do I have fonder memories for? And what would be the one to be like, I'm going to go back and watch that one yeah, over I think- the other. I think for me, it's an on paper because when you talked about this to say, you know, we're going to look at all matches. I'm like, geez, I, I don't know if I I couldn't name a Royal Rumble match outside of the Royal Rumbles. A, mm. a Sporacle would actually be a hell of a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm going to take it from an on paper and the era, almost like what I just did with CM Punk and, and Dolph Ziggler of like, OK, their impact, 
how did it age? Uh, and would I go back as well? I think that might be how I do handle this as well. So with that, our number one seed, the highest rated match to ever take place at a Royal Rumble, according to Cage Match, with a 9.47 rating, is the WWE Championship match from the 2003 Rumble, Kurt Angle defending, we're going to have to mention his name a lot, mm-hmm. against Chris Benoit. On paper, that this should match, be a banger. Should be an absolute banger. That match is squaring off against our 32 seed with a 7-4-8, the WWE Universal title match from the 2019 Royal Rumble, Brock Lesnar against Finn Balor. Should have been better. <laughs> I don't know why, like, I don't know why they don't book Finn Balor, amazing worker. He's almost like the new Dolph Ziggler. Mm. Like, they, they put him in the right spot, but they never really shine on him. But he, I, the only time Dolph Ziggler really has had a bad match over the past couple of years has been because of the booking, not necessarily because of his work. Mm-hmm. Um, on this one, uh, you can't you can't vote against. Well, you can, <laughs> and there's a reason why it's number one. But you can't uh, uh, a Kurt Angle Chris Benoit match is an absolute, should be a master class in not only professional wrestling, but just wrestling in general. And it was. Um, it is a match that that lives up to the hype. Like, that 2003 Royal Rumble was uh, a solid show. But at the same time, to put it into perspective, um, the two matches before this a three and a half minute match between Tori Wilson and Don Marie in the middle of the storyline where Don Marie fucked Tori Wilson's dad to death. <laughs> she oversexed Al Wilson. Mm-hmm. And one of the worst matches in Royal Rumble history, Scott Steiner defeating Triple H by disqualification in the World Heavyweight title match where those two just stank out the joint. Scott Steiner, uh, whether it was injuries or whatever, was gassed like three minutes into the match. And 95% of his offense consisted of suplexes. Um, it, a horrific the, match. Didn't this frankly. have the buildup, too, of the arm wrestling match? <laughs> the arm wrestling, the pose down, all right. the... Or the... Yeah, uh, they tried to go full Rick Rude Ultimate Warrior, and uh, <laughs> he went too far into the Ultimate Warrior oh, territory. Yeah, never go full Ultimate Warrior. Um, and why do I have an image of... Um, bicycle short triple H in this one as well. Is that this um, match? So 2003, yeah, this might've been bicycle short era. 2003 was definitely the year of the bicycle shorts and of the different colored attire, like the red trunks, the purple trunks. Yeah. This was the era of that for triple H. Well, he went from like, when you talk about like the purple trunks or whatever, to me, that's him and rocket at, at SummerSlam. Uh, with their IC title match. Right. But like he had just switched to the shorts, but mm-hmm. got that groin. He got a groin injury and, and needed to get out there as he does. And the best, uh, the best way he knew how was to throw, 
a version of bicycle shorts with the Triple H logo on the back, which was terrible. It may not be this match. I, I just, for some reason, him versus Scott Steiner is, uh, that brings up memories of the bicycle shorts for whatever reason. With Lesnar, I'm, I'm going, Finn, I'm going uh, Benoit Angle on this same. one. Yeah. Same. With, with Lesnar and Finn, I think it was, <clears throat> you know, a good match with like the underdog story, but it was a little bit short as a Lesnar title defense was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this was the same rumble that Seth Rollins won and led to Seth beating Brock in the, the Mania opener. In New York, because <laughs> Brock did not want to hang around. <laughs> correct. If well, if I'm going to lose anyway, put us on first. Yeah. So uh, I think if, I think if Finn beat Brock here, I I would maybe go that match, but because mm. he didn't, I'm sticking with uh, Benoit and Angle. The two seed with a nine point four four, the WWF World Heavyweight Title. Street fight from Royal Rumble 2000, Triple H defending against Cactus Jack. And that match squares off against our second match from the 2019 Royal Rumble. Already the number 31 seed, the WWE Raw women's title match between Ronda Rousey and Sasha Banks. I I've wanted to vote the underdog on this one until you said Ronda Rousey. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, when you look back at Triple H and Mankind, such an unlikely pairing. Like, don't get me wrong, like, uh, Mick Foley was just an unlikely professional wrestler. Every situation he was put in, he absolutely just knocked it out of the park. But then you have Triple H, who's like prim proper, loves the uh, like absorbs the business and you have Mick Foley. But when those two are in the same match, in the same ring, uh, on the microphone against each other, it it just worked. It was tremendous. Like, I'm almost thinking I'm almost thinking of putting that one over um, Angle and Benoit if they eventually meet up like uh, that's kind of I'm already thinking ahead of like, okay. Mm. Seeing Triple H and Mankind again, I want to go see that again before I want to see Chris Benoit. I recently watched the 2000 Royal Rumble within the past month, month and a half. Um, this, this match holds up in terms of the the spectacle of it, and the um, the I've been going through the 2000s pay per views with uh, my wife because. Hmm. Uh, in December, I was like, you know, I just it's I kind of just want to go back and watch some old stuff. And I'm like, all right, she has discovered that she really enjoys battle royal type matches. So I put every Royal Rumble on a wheel to side and it landed <laughs> on 2000. So we watched the 2000 Royal Rumble and she's like, that was pretty good. I'm like, you want to go to the next pay-per-view in the year? Sure. And then we have pretty much made it through the entire year. Amazing. Um, I, I think we're up to no mercy. So she doesn't know that Kurt Angle wins the the title yet on that show. Don't um, listen. Don't get her to listen to the podcast. That's not a spoiler anyway. Wow. <laughs> she <laughs> likes wrestling, but not enough to listen to this. Um, um, 2002 was um, that was uh, Madison Square Garden. 2000. 2002 yeah, was right. no. I said Square 2000. Well. Like 2000, the number. Oh, 2002. Two was yeah. Was yes. Madison Square Garden right? I saw yes. this in a movie theater. 
You saw Mae Young's fake. Yeah, uh, that's the only uh, yeah. other than no, because if this match was there, I'm I'm mixing up a whole bunch too. This was um. We also got uh, too cool for reuniting in the Royal Rumble match. Yes. Yeah. That's all I remember. Mae Young's puppies on the big screen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. The um the prosthetics. Yes, they were. They yeah, were. I'm um, sure they were. Anyway, they were. The chemistry the Triple H and Cactus Jack had at this time was insane. Um, you know, you had Mick Foley who felt like his career was winding down, and it was. Uh, you know, I mean, this was January, and by WrestleMania in March or early April, um, that would be his last match until the 2004 Royal Rumble. You know, when he and Randy Orton are having their program leading to uh, WrestleMania and more importantly, the fucking backlash match at 2004. Um, so this was a very motivated Mick Foley against Triple H in his prime. Mm-hmm. This is over a year out from the quad tear. This is like peak prime main event heel Triple H. And these two go to war in what is a very violent match. The ending of the match is Mick Foley taking the face first, arms still pinned behind his back pedigree into thumbtacks. Absolute Mm. fucking madman. And I'm sorry that we haven't really talked about the other match, but it didn't have a hope in hell. Um, you know, it featured Ronda Rousey. <laughs> See, the thing is, like Ronda Rousey as a wrestler, I don't hate. Um, you know, you can talk about, you know, she she's one of many athletes that can't fucking stand losing, and it's that hyper competitiveness that gets mm-hmm. her to where she was. But yes, it can come off as having incredibly poor sportsmanship. You can judge Ronda Rousey from the uh, personal takes that she's put out there. Before, um, I've seen a lot of people, uh, instead of her nickname being the baddest woman on the planet, I've seen them call her false flag Ronda Rousey. Um, but around this time, you know, pre triple threat women's main event at WrestleMania, mm-hmm. she was doing really well. You know, her, her WWE run over like the last year fizzled out hard especially her final match against Shayna Baszler, which I've seen a lot of people label as the worst match of 2023. Um, But around this time, she was doing really well. And obviously, Sasha Banks, Mercedes Monet, is still one of the best women's wrestlers in the world. This match doesn't have a hope in hell. (laughs) And there's no doubt that the street fight's advancing. Just on on the Ronda Rousey thing, it just, it's not so much the extracurricular stuff it was very much the ufc is not nxt the ufc is not building your way up right to use a different example jake paul has been a better professional wrestler than ronda rousey ever was logan paul that guy it's all right. One of, one I, I'm pop, okay right? that you got them confused, but I figured I'd correct you. So the no, that's fine. Happen. That's fine. I'm the old guy in the, the situation here. I, I appreciate it. But like Logan Paul, phenomenal athlete known for other things, comes in and makes an absolute impact because of what he was able to do in professional wrestling. Ronda right. Rousey comes in 
was able to do amazing things outside of wrestling, was not a good professional wrestler. And they put her into the main event because of the hype, because of the draw. Understandably so, they're not there to not sell tickets and have people show up and see Ronda Rousey in a WWE ring. She was not a good professional wrestler. I would never want to say that to her face because she put me in a Kimura and break my arm. Amazing UFC legend. UFC is not professional wrestling. It is not a stepping stone to get there. Look at Shayna Baszler. Uh, she's a former UFC uh, fighter. She's got a couple fights under her belt. Went to NXT. Went to, I don't even know where she was before but had to work her way onto the main roster. Ronda Rousey shows up, points at the WrestleMania sign, and doesn't even get a championship match. Mm. Couldn't hold a promo. Couldn't hold her emotions in check while she was um, talking to other wrestlers. Like, it just, it never clicked for me. Where, like, the other two in the the triple threat match that you referenced, uh, Becky Lynch and, and Charlotte Flair, um, Paid their fucking dues <laughs> to be in that spot to main event of WrestleMania. Right. Uh, I just, I Ronda Rousey did not good honor for being there. It just never clicked for me. Our third match from the 2015 Royal Rumble with a 9.29 rating, the WWE World Heavyweight Title Triple Threat Match. Between Brock Lesnar, John Cena, and Seth Rollins. That is going up against the WWE slash WWE Universal title match from the 2023 Royal Rumble, Roman Reigns and Kevin Owens. If we're going by which one I want to see, go back and see more. Part of me cringed when it was Roman Reigns. But I would rather see Kevin Owens in that spot than Brock and John Cena. Seth, yeah, I, I'll buy Seth. But just to, to go back and see a Brock Lesnar-John Cena match, I'm actually kind of swaying to the Roman Reigns-Kevin Owens on this one. I love Kevin Owens. I, I just love everything about him. Did you ever watch his uh, YouTube series before he went to WWE, his weekend escapades? No, no. Oh, I miss it so much. He he would vlog his travel weekends, mm -hmm. working the road and everything. And it, it just so funny. So, so funny. Like um, even when, when clips of him and ROH pop up, mm -hmm. like even there was um, him and El Generico where he put, did he put his career up against his mask? Yes. Yeah, like and and to see it now, it just popped up on my feed last week. To see it now and to see where they ended up mm. um versus to see it in that moment. I can't imagine in that moment because they were hot as hell mm -hmm. in ROH. But to I see was, it now, I was an ROH diehard at the time and that feud was fucking incredible. Right. But to see it now to see where both of them have ended up and to see the kind of work that they were doing back then. Like I said, like there's a, there's few 
wrestlers that I will absolutely put on a pedestal, and, and Kevin Owens is one of those guys that the other guy on the, the other side of the ring is Roman Reigns, who right now, I think WWE has done an amazing job at tainting the desire to see him and creating a, uh, a heel the wrong way. You could make an argument the right way, but the wrong way. Um, I still want to see that match more than a, a Brock Lesnar, John Cena, insert Seth Rollins match. I, I'm actually going with the underdog on this one. I think it's a matter of work rate against story. Not to say that Reigns and Owens wouldn't have good work rate, but it is... Main event, Roman Reigns, he is mm -hmm. what he is. In terms of working the WWE-style heavyweight title main event, you know, it's not that far off from how Triple H worked in 2006 or Cena in 2007. Like, it is what it is. Lesnar, Cena, Rollins, from an in-ring standpoint, was fantastic. But I think a lot of people would include the post-match of Reigns and Owens in the match itself, which included the Sami Zayn the turn. turn, the I chair was shot, about that actually too. Yes, the pop that broke the microphones, basically. Yeah, like yeah. it. It's really tough. Like, do you include that because it wasn't technically a part of the match, but it was a part of. They didn't leave. They the didn't thing. leave the show. You know, uh, like that, that's a part of it. it. It's tough to say. Um, I'm trying to think of another uh, good example of this, but it's tough to say that the Sami Zayn face turn wasn't a part of the presentation of the match. It's a catalyst that, of, of it was, it was the story was of the going. match is that Sami yes. was in Roman's corner. Yep. So I, I actually wasn't thinking that because I, I, again, the timelines and everything, I don't want to like over jump or overstate or anything. I'm even trying to get my timelines right. Yeah. But once you said that the, it was that match, this mm -hmm. is a no brainer. This is a no brainer that the underdog wins this one. I think that I'm in agreement and I'll tell you why. There is something to say to go back and watch a great match for the sake of a great match. Yes. And that triple threat match was a great match. Yes. It is one of just six matches in Royal Rumble history with a 9.0 or higher. Mm -hmm. However, I can watch a lot of great matches. You know, Lesnar retains that title leading to WrestleMania where he defends, that's the 2015 Rumble, that's where Roman wins and gets his hand raised by The Rock and gets booed out of the fucking building, but that's the mania where Seth cashes in in the main event. Oh, But we're not talking moment. about that, you know? Right. For okay, this... So what is... What, here's... I don't think you can talk me out of the underdog on this one, but what is the next match? Because I know what the next match is for Roman Reigns, where this leads to. Yeah. Because the next match is, is Elimination Chamber. Right? I'll have to look it up really quickly. Reigns versus of, uh... Sami Zayn. Yes. Oh, yeah. For, for Roman. I thought you were talking like, in what's Montreal. the next match. For no, no, no. I am actually asking, like, what is the next match for 
uh brock let's just leave it at brock because he walked he walks out champion yes the next match is mania because the next pay-per-view was fast lane um where they did roman and daniel bryan in the main events and had roman beat him en route to mania 31 so yeah brock's next match isn't until the main event of wrestlemania 31 where he loses the belt thanks to the rollins cash in so hmm What actually has more impact? Because I actually do put the Rollins cash in. Um, the three major professional wrestling moments, as far as I'm concerned, are the screw job, the birth of the NWO, and the Rollins cash in. Because nobody saw it coming. If you said you saw it coming, you had doubt <laughs> heading into how that match was laid out and how it was happening. And until you heard Seth Rollins, that was the only time you were like, aha, I was right. <laughs> mm. So to me, those are the three. Uh, you can call it modern era, too, if you want. Um, you could throw Hogan body slamming Andre if you want to ex- extend the timeline there. Uh... But Montreal Elimination Chamber, the fact that Sami Zayn didn't win, but how emotionally invested I was. And that wouldn't have happened without the overlap of the Kevin Owens Roman Reigns. Mm-hmm. I I gotta I'm, I gotta I'm go with, with Underdog still. I'm I gotta with be, you. It's close. It is so close because I can't mm-hmm. say the what happens afterwards is is a big factor and i say it's one of the top three moments for me for professional wrestling is the rollins cash in right but i think it's very close but i you add that overlap you add uh sammy zane turning on roman reigns at the end mm. this this is an underdog this is an underdog victory i think i i think i agree like i said the the story of reigns and owens what leads to, you know, directly after the match leads to Elimination Chamber, leads to WrestleMania. You know, again, the triple threat, an amazing in-ring match. But at the end of the day, it's the kind of roadblock, essentially, of just keep Brock busy because we know we're going with him and Roman. You could argue, and maybe it was the moment that they're like, oh, shit, maybe Seth should win. But I'm with you. I, th- I think we go with the underdog on this one just for what it led to. And I hate to say it, but the guy who was in the corner of Roman Reigns, Sami Zayn, is the one who just won this uh, head-to-head because of 100%. the unbelievable pop at the end. The impact of the one match had more impact to even current storyline this far out than the other one did this uh, later on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. There's our there's next no head-to-head with a nine point two eight. From the 2001 Royal Rumble, the WWF Intercontinental Championship ladder match, Chris Jericho and Chris Benoit squaring off with a 7.56 from the 2020 Royal Rumble, the WWE Universal title strap match between The Fiend and Daniel Bryan. Hmm. Douchebag who's no longer alive or... Person we fondly remember who's no longer alive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I'll I'll take point on this one. Yeah. It's the ladder match. Yeah, okay. It is it is the ladder match. I mean the strap match was very, very good, but you know, yeah. while that match and you know, like Chris Jericho's talked about it in his books, it's like, you know, it sucks. Like it's it's a match that's never gonna be celebrated again. Um beyond the fact that it has a high cage match rating, as it should, because it is one of the best ladder matches of all time. I think just even looking from this from the perspective of like, okay, historical relevance or whatever, there's nothing from that strap match that immediately jumps out to me. And that could just be because of like my fan and my personal experiences, but that's mm-hmm. what this list is based off of, you know, my opinions at least, crashes and what they equal out to. One of the most iconic moments in wrestling history depending on what age you are is the walls of jericho at the top of the ladder Mm. immortalized in the video games i mean that that almost wins it for me despite the fact that the rest of the match is of extremely high quality um you know we don't need to get into the whole Mm -hmm. chris benoit debate but right just looking at a match its importance um, the matches that Jericho and Benoit had throughout 2000 into 2001, really leading up to, you know, like the early summer of 2001, like they were right there in that main event picture. You know, they go on to be a team against the two man power trip. The match on Raw where Triple H tears a squad leads to the king of the ring where they're in a triple threat match with Austin. And then not too long after that, Benoit's gone, you know, from a broken neck. Um, this was such an important match for those two. Whereas the fiend and Daniel Bryan, it wasn't particularly an important match Mm -hmm. because it was two already established former champions competing for another title. It was a really good match, but I, I mean, again, it just, it depends on like, okay, you know, 2001, you know, if you're like a 14 year old kid, you're choosing the fiend and Daniel Bryan. Right, right, uh, right. That is not the perspective for me. No, and that's that's why I'm kind of stepping back on this one is because saying the two, like, I would rather celebrate Bray Wyatt than give credit to Chris Benoit for the wrong reasons in this spirit of of what we're doing here. Right. Um, I also want to say that the Benoit-Jericho combination this when was uh, invasion because invasion would have been around this era too correct um it was later on this year yeah and i was at the saddle dome when i'll bring this up anytime i have the opportunity to set the saddle dome when um landstorm super kicked uh who was it that he actually super kicked in the main event but benoit and jericho were a big part of that show Mm mm-hmm which was kind of a catalyst for to allow the invasion to happen, which I, I actually have a, it could have been better, but I hold in high regard. So yeah, I, I retract the fuck of Chris Benoit and I'll step back based on your memory of the match and my memory of, uh, of being at the saddle dome, I think it was actually one of Stu Hart's last events that they they focused uh, on as well. Just a little mm. side 
tidbit or whatever. But Jericho and Benoit were a big part of that show as well. I just coined a new term, by the way. Fuck you, Uri. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we can have that as the episode title, but maybe. <laughs> Our next battle. With a 9.10 from the 2017 Royal Rumble, the WWE Championship match, John Cena against AJ Styles. And that is squaring off with a match from the 2011 Royal Rumble with a 7.75, the World Heavyweight title match between Edge and Dolph Ziggler. I, I, again, trying to line the, the timeline up. Because you're way better at this than I am. AJ Styles hadn't won a title yet. He he was champion at this point. Oh, he was champion at the time. He was the okay. champion. Yeah. Oh, so this actually led to like the the OC doing beat up John Cena. I th- that this was the match I think, or afterwards. Yeah, because they had the match at SummerSlam in gotcha. 2016, and this was the rematch at the Rumble uh, that Cena ended up winning. Okay. Uh, either way, like that original run of AJ Styles and the fact mm-hmm. of what they're doing with him now is criminal. Um, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, Edge versus Dolph Ziggler. Yeah. Again, this is this isn't Ronda Rousey. This is Dolph Ziggler does not get as much credit as, as he deserves as a professional wrestler, not only for what he did for himself but for what he did for everybody else he was in the ring with mm-hmm. he made a 50 60 year old goldberg look amazing god <laughs> that match Ugh. um yeah this is this is cena this is uh this is aj styles just basically again the the oc run with those guys should have been if they could have gotten the rights to the bullet club if they could have brought you know they the fact that they kept finn away they could have really had more magic but mm. to be able to beat a legend like john cena i think is uh yeah that's i love edge i love dolph it pains me to say but i'm i'm sticking with uh with cena and, and aj on this one yeah i mean i think i am as well um you look at it from the like historical perspective right in that you know, this is AJ Styles at just a second Royal Rumble. He debuted the year before. Correct. Yep. And by this time, here he is already having been champion, having a great set of matches with John Cena. Whereas on the other side, if you see Edge and Dolph Ziggler, which who the fuck knows, that might be a match that we get in AEW this year, for God's sakes. It could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you see Edge and Dolph Ziggler in 2011, and you're like, that's going to be a good match. But. Cena styles, the importance of it, the actual work of the match as well. Uh, there's no, there's no doubt. I mean, you know, you look back at it from the uh, Edge and Ziggler standpoint, you know, this is a couple months before Edge has to retire. Correct. Yep. You know, it's like that's the same 2011 pay-per-view where Del Rio wins the Rumble and then loses to Edge in the main of or the and opener he retires Mania, the next night, <laughs> which Jesus. But if, um, if you're if you're asking me, you've got a door on the left and a door on the right. If you're asking me if I want to rewatch Cena AJ or Dolph Ziggler uh, Edge, Mm -hmm. I am taking the door on the right. If you're asking Mm -hmm. me in this tournament, you know, the impact and the um, 
everything that led into it and everything that came out of it, I am taking Cena AJ Styles. Fair enough. As we have Cena and AJ advancing. Our next match. The last of the nines with a 9.01 from the 2007 Royal Rumble, the WWE Heavyweight Championship last man standing match, John Cena versus Umaga. Mm. Or as William Regal would say, Umanga. <laughs> and this pairs off with our first outright Royal Rumble match with a 7.60, the 20. 10 Royal Rumble match. Now, to take point on this one, the 2010 Royal Rumble match was won by Edge in his return from injury. Uh, it's very well known for CM Punk dominating early on and cutting the promos in the middle of the ring as the match was going on. It also featured uh, Beth Phoenix entering the Rumble and eliminating the great Kali as well as the Shawn Michaels story of pushing for the rematch with The Undertaker, but falling short in one of the best elimination spots ever as he's holding on to the rope on the outside of the ring and it just slips from his grasp as he's reaching for the ropes and falls to the floor below. It's a pretty damn good rumble match, but it is up against, I mean, one of John Cena's best matches and performances of all time as he and Umaga beat the shit out of each other. It ends with Cena in the uh, STFU with the rope around the ring rope around Umaga's neck. Um, Again, I think you're looking at a lot of different factors mm -hmm. in this one for what match advances. I don't know if Umaga got another sniff at main event after this this was probably his peak yeah i think i'm going underdog on this one too and Ooh. mainly because of the sean michaels because mm. regardless edge coming back regardless cm punk regardless anything happening this was one of those moments we've talked about how investment in the product and what we get out of it mm-hmm and this one still paid off long term ish. Like it was uh, when I say long term, I don't mean like a year. I don't mean two years. I mean, like he goes to elimination chamber and finally gets the spot, I believe. Or does he even fall short in elimination chamber afterwards? Uh, for Sean. Yeah, that was where Taker was defending the world heavyweight title in the chamber. And Sean pops out from the below the chamber Super kicks Taker and costs him the title. Right. I think because of the Shawn Michaels factor in this Royal Rumble and where it led. Mm -hmm. I think that's because I do remember like how this wasn't like this wasn't DX Shawn Michaels. This wasn't um, uh, America versus Canada Shawn Michaels. This wasn't, <laughs> you know, like this wasn't the Shawn Michaels we knew heading this was a completely different guy this was a guy who knew he was on his last legs this was his last opportunity at one more shot at the undertaker like and he wanted it and we don't see that in wrestling we don't see the guy fight for the spot the spots are usually just handed or 
there's a number one contender match randomly and it features your favorite wrestlers. Like mm. this was a guy who was possessed to get that spot and he failed. This, right. Like most times it is that one shot. You got it. You're moving on. This was a long term story. So I think for the Shawn Michaels factor. And like I said, like Umaga didn't really have too many opportunities after that or he, he kind of got relegated back down to the mid card. I'm, I'm going to go with the underdog on this one. It's so tough, right? Because 2007, yeah. it was a it was a pretty strong year for Cena out of the gates, right? Like he has this match with Umaga, was supposed to wrestle Triple H at Mania. It ends up being Sean instead. So he has that series of matches with Sean, including like what the hour long match at Mania, which was or uh, the hour long match on Raw after the Mania, uh, which was tremendous. So it's another. It's another really, really tough call because in terms of the ring work itself, obviously Cena and Umaga in a 1v1 match is going to outweigh a Royal Rumble. There's only so much that can be done in the Royal Rumble. It is match versus story. Mm-hmm. <sighs> this is This is the toughest one yet for me. It really is. <sighs> I think, oh man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just so tough because Sinu Namaga was so, so just good in the physicality of it. And <laughs> it, it's one of those matches that a lot of people look at for Cena as like this made Cena, but it was the match that Cena had on a couple of occasions. Like he had some of those super violent matches. Like there was a match against uh, JBL at Judgment Day in like 05. Uh, and I quit match that was tremendous. Um, he could uh, have those matches. He didn't have them often. Because fair. that really wasn't who he was. But put in those situations. Yeah, he, he's good at having those. Very physically demanding, very violent matches. But they were absolute one offs. Right. I just, again, going back to the beginning, I don't, I I literally have no recollection of that match, but Mm. I do remember the Shawn Michaels storyline of trying to get at The Undertaker, and The Undertaker would just, no, you had your shot. While I have this title, you had your shot. Win the Royal Rumble, and you'll get me. Loses the Royal Rumble. Does not get a spot in the Elimination Chamber. Gets involved in the Elimination Chamber. Uh, and then finally pisses off the Undertaker enough to get that match down the road, which is when we did the top 10, uh, what we thought were top 10 Undertaker matches, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker 1 and Shawn Michaels, Undertaker 2 were both on there for both of us. I think for me, I'm going for the 2010 Rumble as well. At the end of the day. You need, not to say that Cena and Umaga didn't have story, but the, you know, what the 2012 or 2010, I should say, Rumble match did in terms of everything that I talked about with the story. Um, I, I just feel like that's that's the one to mm-hmm. advance at this point. So we'll go with that. But that, that's a toss up. 
for me. It really is. That could go either way, I would say. Next up, speaking of Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker, with an 8.89 rating, it is the 2007 Royal Rumble match squaring off with the 2002 Royal Rumble match that had a 7.61. Looking first at the 2002 Rumble match, this was Triple H's triumphant return from injury to secure a title shot against Chris Jericho at WrestleMania 18. This match also featured a run of dominance from The Undertaker that was ended by Maven and a run of dominance from Stone Cold that was ended by Kurt Angle, but didn't really lead to anything. You know, Angle ended up having a match with, I think, Kane at WrestleMania 18. And then Austin was in a match with Scott Hall. They also had uh, the tremendous return of Mr. Perfect. So some highlights for that rumble, right? The 2007 Royal rumble match. Um, the middle of it. Eh, you know, you had like, okay. Some highlights like King Booker did. Okay. Orton and edge teamed up quite a bit throughout the rumble for their moments. The most dominant person in the match was the great Kali who in succession eliminated Hardcore Holly, Chris Benoit, The Miz, Rob Van Dam, CM Punk, Carlito, and Chavo Guerrero before being dumped by The Undertaker. What this match is remembered for is the final five to ten minutes as it was Undertaker and Shawn Michaels in San Antonio, Texas as the final two with a mini match before the elimination. Where does I know. where does where does 07 lead to for WrestleMania? Undertaker and Batista, Shawn Michaels would take on John Cena. Michaels would get his match anyway. This was the match immediately preceding Cena and Umaga on the card. I almost I be wanna... honest. Yeah, go ahead. I would go with 2002. I think it is the more complete match with more interesting moments. The strength of the 07 rumble is off of the back of the undertaker and Shawn Michaels Mm -hmm. and the drama of two legends going head to head. I think you would get better moments of those two going head to head in subsequent years at WrestleMania, especially I think the 2002 Royal rumble match stands out with, a better field of participants in some ways, more memorable moments. And it's, it's not a rumble. Like, no disrespect to that. Oh, seven rumble, man. But Kenny Dykstra, Sabu, the Sandman, like a lot of ECW talent, Kevin Thorne. Uh, I, I have to go with 2002. I don't think the strength of the final, unless you say, Hey, the final five minutes is where the drama's at. And that's what matters. I just don't know if five minutes of a 56-minute match is enough to say it is better than the entirety of another Rumble. 
The only argument I would have against that is what match stands out for WrestleMania 18. Fair, because Triple H and Jericho was dead in the water at that pay-per-view. That's fair. O2 in terms, well, I think both in terms of follow-up fall short, right? Because Taker and Sean didn't have a match at Mania. At least Triple H went on to, you know, have a match with the, you know, the champion, essentially. Not that every Rumble winner, of course, it comes down to like, oh, well, one of them has to go on, that they have to go on to face each other. That's not Mm -hmm. the case. But, I mean, Taker did go on to win the title at Mania as well, so I guess those two kind of equal out in that regard. I'm I'm not I'm not going to argue against. I just wanted on record to say the match that absolutely stands out at WrestleMania 18 is Hogan Rock. Yes. And nobody it was going to be a good match but nobody knew to what level right. and nobody knew it was going to be that. Right. And it has nothing to do with this Royal Rumble. That's fair. So I, your point, to your point, 07 didn't really lead to anything of right. substance either. So, right. out of those two, uh, I, I'm going to defer to you. I was going to defer to you. <laughs> I'm going to defer to you with saying the match that really stood out at the next WrestleMania was, it was dominated by The Rock versus the NWO. Boston right. Scott Hall was iconic. Probably for the wrong reasons. A great stunner. So no, I got all of that. The greatest. <laughs> um, yeah, they really went after the whole. Let's put our, our big guys against the NWO. In yeah. this one. Um, which again, I don't think that there was really anything in that Royal Rumble to suggest what they were building towards with. Uh, with the WrestleMania. So. Um, that's the only knock I can put on O2, but it, uh, if, if it was just the last couple minutes too, that's a rough scene to sit through like an hour of Royal Rumble to get five minutes. It comes down to the final few minutes of the O7 Rumble versus I think a more complete package of 2002 mm-hmm. for you. Would you rather watch Taker and Sean for five to ten minutes or a more complete Royal Rumble match? Probably more complete. Because if you're telling me it's the last five minutes, I'm fast-forwarding to the last five minutes. Right. Yeah, I mean, really, do you want to sit there and watch Kali eliminate seven people? No. All right. (laughs) 2002 advances another underdog moving forward. We get to a big one with an 8.72 rating, the 2001 Royal Rumble match, squaring off with our 25 seed with a 7.64 from the 2004 Royal Rumble, the World Heavyweight title last man standing match, Triple H versus Shawn Michaels. To set the stage. That match in 2004 was the continuation of the Michaels-Triple H feud that had really been going on since the summer of 2002. It was on again, off again, and they've continued throughout 2004. By June, the Bad Blood pay-per-view, they had their almost hour-long Hell in a Cell match. For example, Mm -hmm. 
this match ended uh, in a double countout in the last man standing match. Um, it was your very typical bloodbath between Triple H and Sean. Um, I think the finish for a lot of people hurts the match, but it does lead to the WrestleMania 20 main event. You know, Benoit wins the Rumble that night, challenges Triple H and Sean saying, I still got unfinished business. He's mine. And it leads to, again, like you hate to say it, but a match that won't be celebrated for obvious reasons. But the main event of WrestleMania 20, that triple threat match is unfucking believable. It mm-hmm. is such a good fucking match. And I think that kind of factors into this match and knowing what it led to. On the other side is what I'm shocked doesn't have a higher rating as the best rumble of all time on cage match. Uh, the 2001 Royal Rumble um, highlighted by uh, Drew Carey eliminating himself. <laughs> Kane setting at the time the elimination record as he went on an absolute run of dominance. Uh, you had the Rock and Big Show calling back to their mania f- or to their Rumble finish the year before. Uh, and then, of course, Stone Cold, they tease him and The Rock, and it comes down to Austin eliminating Kane last. And I talked about the follow up for the Michaels Triple H match. The follow up to this was a bit rocky because, no pun intended. Because Austin would go on to the No Way Out pay-per-view losing to Triple H in a three stages of hell match, yet he would still go on to the main event of Mania and beat The Rock, turning heel in the process. So it was a bit of an awkward follow-up, whereas I think you know Triple H, Sean, and then ultimately Benoit leading to that triple threat I think was a more cohesive kind of story and continued momentum and build towards that match without a dip. You could argue that the three stages of hell loss for stone cold in 2001 was like the catalyst for the heel turn. Like, Oh, okay. He lost his big match against triple H the month before is his momentum. You know, Rocky, is that why he partnered with Vince? If that's you know the story that you think they were telling there. Um, I, th- I think this is a pretty tough choice how are you feeling about it i think for me again it goes the Shawn michaels triple h as a one-off i feel like eh, we've seen that a lot that's fair um but triple h to me was one of the kings of the double swerve and i believe this is where this went into which was the um um the reformation of DX. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> I'm right. not in your shadow anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm now the big cheese. If I remember correctly, too, this led to brown pants, Shawn Michaels. <laughs> that was a little bit before. Um, was it a little bit before fair? Yes. Yeah, so 2002 um, was that comeback match. The, the swerve about a DX reunion, the SummerSlam match where Shawn wins and then gets hit with the sledgehammer. And then that leads to Elimination Chamber in 2002, and that's the brown pants. Right. Um, but again, this match was like a continuation of that feud. It was on again, off again. But right. they were essentially perpetually feuding for two to three years. I think to me, it's those storylines were 
I think it's it's a bigger storyline, a bigger part of the story than the match itself. So I, I'm going to go with the one with the uh, uh, Triple H and, and Shawn Michaels. I think this will be uh, very controversial. I don't know if the Honky Tonk Man can save the 2001 Rumble. <laughs> the Honky Tonky Man? God, it is it is a really damn good rumble, but you know, we've incorporated a lot of follow-up to this, and there's no well, I mean again, like the more consistent build of what happened in 2004 versus like the kind of the shakiness with Austin. Um I think because there are I have really fond memories of that Triple H Sean match, because again it was really good. Sean was on such a run. When he first mm-hmm. came back to it was unbelievable. Which the way they kind of had it set up too, like he was still not Shawn Michaels. He was just a guy with a vendetta with right. a bad back. <laughs> yep. Versus like we said before, like but we also said before, it's is can the match be better than or can a match be better than the Royal Rumble? And would you go back and watch the whole Royal Rumble rather than just the match? The 2001 Rumble is a really good one to go back and watch because it is like the last Rumble of the Attitude Era and stuff like that. Um, I will say an aspect of the 01 Rumble that I think hurts it is a lack of credible potential winners. Um, You have Kane, The Rock, a returning Big Show who doesn't even last that long, Taker, and Austin. You know... And even then, you could argue, like, how believable was it for any of the five? I I think I'm going to go with the 01 Rumble and kind of put it into a tiebreaker here. And I don't know if we want to go off of the higher score or not. I do think there's a legitimate argument for that Triple H Shawn Michaels match. I do. And the follow-up to it. Um, At the same time, at the end of the day, it comes down to the finish for me which I think is what it comes down to for a lot of people with Triple H and Sean, is that you know that match ends in a draw, even if it's a really good match. Yeah. But then, but shit, then you know what it leads to, and it leads to the WrestleMania 20 main event. Yeah, we're, we're changing the, the criteria. <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. Like, it's, it's opinion-based, right? Right. If, if I were to go with the 01 Rumble, do we go with the, the cage match scores, the tiebreaker, or what do we think? Uh, I'm, I'll... This is this was your baby. You didn't give me any uh, any leeway. Give me any so you, you tell me that that's what we're doing. I'm I'm moving on. <sighs> By I'm the narrowest of margins, we're gonna move the 01 Rumble forward. But I do think that 04 match, uh, it was close. It mm-hmm. was real close. Speaking of the 2004 Royal Rumble, up next with an 8.69 rating is the 2004 Royal Rumble match itself. Squaring off with the WWF Undisputed World Heavyweight title match from the 2002 Royal Rumble with a 764 rating, Chris Jericho against The Rock. To set the stage with these Rumbles, because it's worth the reminder, of course, this was the Rumble where one Chris Benoit went end to end from number one all the way to the win. Uh, this was a match that featured Randy Orton going on a really good run up until Mick Foley jumped 
test of all people and took his spot in the Rumble to go out there and eliminate Orton, continuing their feud. It also featured Goldberg's Rumble debut, featuring one of the damnedest spears of all time on Nunzio. Still might be my favorite spear ever. Christian's up there, by the way, as well, for someone who took a hell of a spear. Um, Leads to Brock Lesnar. After a confrontation earlier in the night, Brock Lesnar comes out, costs Goldberg his spot in the Rumble, which would lead to Goldberg helping Eddie Guerrero the next month to win the WWE title. And then, obviously, their uh, absolute stinker at WrestleMania 20. So there's time for that. Um, And at the very end, Big Show goes on a run and is eliminated by Benoit. On the other side Jericho and the rock a pretty good match and you know again as someone who's read Jericho's books um holds the rock in the highest regard as one of his best opponents ever but this was another kind of cheesy finish where of course they were playing up Jericho as the as the heel mm-hmm. and cheating to win and not really doing him much of a favor in terms of trying to legitimize his title reign. It was more right. just about like this guy's fluking his way up until he runs into triple H and he can't fluke his way anymore. I, I think it'd be hard for me to go against the Ray Mysterio um, argument that I had earlier. I think Benoit, everybody was ready for that. Everybody was ready for him to win. This was an emotional at the time. This was a very emotional uh, investment in Chris Benoit and to watch him go run the board and go pin to pin and for him to win that and get his shot which leads to uh, the image of confetti um, the image of confetti and Eddie Guerrero celebrating mm-hmm. with him in the ring take out the guy the only one who had a choice take that story out of it, which is impossible to do. Right. That image at that WrestleMania. So we go where it led to was one of the most amazing images in WrestleMania history that we cannot, as you say, we cannot celebrate. Right. So for me, I think it is the Benoit Royal Rumble here. It's yeah, it is Jericho rock. Great. Uh, energy great uh, the throwback to even Jericho's debut those two against mm-hmm. each other amazing doesn't hold a candle to that last image of that Royal Rumble right yeah I mean I couldn't put forward the uh, Michaels Triple H match from the same Rumble card I can put this one through convincingly and still kind of get my way <laughs> and I think that was the deciding <laughs> factor to the 0-1 Rumble going through um mm-hmm. You know, Jericho and Rock, good match, but the stories at the time, the follow-ups were abysmal. Whereas the 04 match, again, had the hallmarks of a good rumble, stories, moments, including Ernest the Cat Miller having a dance break. <laughs> Somebody call um, Mama Mama. God, what a time. What a time. We'll move on to our next one here as we continue through the opening round. Of course, the opening round is the the longest in terms of talking points, but we are chipping away here. Next up, 
It is another battle of Royal Rumble matches with an 8.68 rating. The legendary 1992 Royal Rumble match squares off with the 2009 Royal Rumble match rocking in at a 7.71. To recap these, 1992, maybe the most legendary Rumble of all time, the vacant world heavyweight title up for grabs, secured by Ric Flair, going from three all the way to the end. Um, You know, you can kind of talk about the stories of the rumble, like they did have some setup throughout mm-hmm. this. Um, you had Tito Santana and Shawn Michaels eliminating one another. That led to a match at WrestleMania eight. Um, you had the undertaker eliminating Jimmy Snuka, which led to that match. Uh, Savage and Jake Roberts had something going on. Um, there were a couple of things here and there. The main thing that this is remembered for, I'd say, is Sid getting cheered and eliminating Hulk Hogan, only for them to uh, change the crowd audio to Sid getting booed, which wasn't what happened. <laughs> and then Hogan pulling Sid over the top rope while Flair helps eliminate him. And Flair wins the title after previously eliminating Randy Savage, by the way, which led to that match as well. The 2009 Royal Rumble won by one Randy Orton. In terms of storylines for this one, uh, Vladimir Kozlov went on a little bit of a run. Uh, (laughs) The Big Show went on a little bit of a run. This was the fastest elimination of all time. Kane eliminating Santino. I wasn't, I wasn't ready. ready. <laughs> Which might be the best moment of that entire rumble. Honestly, the story of this was essentially the legacy with Orton, Cody Rhodes, and Ted DiBiase Jr. dominating the match and Triple H eliminating the younger members before Orton got the better of him to win the match, which would lead to Orton versus Triple H. Triple H would win the title in February and Orton would challenge him and lose. Yeah. For that reason, it's got to be the 92 rumble because Randy Orton in 2009, the, the psycho character was red hot. Maybe not yeah. red hot because red hot describes like stone cold Steve Austin, but he was the top heel in the company. Yes. And you, completely ruined the follow-up by having the main event, like this heated feud where Orton had DDT'd Stephanie and then kissed her and Triple H invaded Orton's home and stuff like that. And then you had the main event be a a match where Triple H could lose the title if he gets disqualified. Right. So you took away and neutered like any of the intensity that match could have had only to have Orton... Win the belt the next month anyway at Backlash after their Mania match was completely overshadowed by Taker and Michaels. The only argument against 93 is they really messed up having Hogan flair in the WrestleMania that followed. Because what Mm. we got was 
Macho Man, Flair, and uh, Sid versus Hogan based on where they right. finished everything, but everybody wanted Flair and Hogan at right. WrestleMania, and it should have been. But, I think this is a case of both follow-ups being botched. <laughs> Honestly. 100%. This was the so, first time we saw the WCW title on WWE at the time programming. Digitized at the time. Now it's not. Ric Flair in WWF, WWE, or WWF at the time. Um, for the first time. Um, legendary. Absolutely mm-hmm. legendary for the build-up and the follow through as as much as we didn't get Hogan Flair um Flair Macho Man was amazing if i remember correctly uh Sid versus Hogan also featured Papa Shango and Ultimate Warrior sure did <laughs> absolutely legendary um i'm going 93 no brainer like there's as much as i've outlined what was terrible about it uh, Randy Orton is an amazing worker Randy Orton is one of those guys like Kevin Owens hard to vote against but when you've got Flair and Hogan in the same Flair also helped eliminate Hogan from the outside if I remember correctly too uh, Hogan helped eliminate Sid at the end oh that's right that's right because he was pissed off that's right correct um yeah, the 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 star power that was in the ring, um, it, it I would have stopped you at the beginning if if we got Flair Hogan at WrestleMania, like right. You say ninety three, it there's nothing that should have been number one if we got Hogan Flair at WrestleMania, the number one seed. But there's nothing you can tell me about any very few other matches that would have me go. Hmm, let's think about this one. This one's a no brainer. Right. Um, for me, I would personally go with the 09. 92 will advance. It has the tiebreaker. Uh, I would go with 09 simply because I think the mid card is more interesting in 2009 than it is in 92. You know, you're talking about spots in this match, the 92 being taken up by the Nasty Boys, Greg Valentine, Nikolai Volkov, uh, Iron Sheik, a.k.a. Colonel Mustafa, the Berserker, Skinner, IRS, um, where, you know, to me, the mid card was a little bit more interesting in 2009, just in terms of the the characters, the ability of the people in the ring. Um, But yeah, 1992 will advance, I think, to the surprise of uh, pretty much nobody. Fair. (laughs) Every Royal Rumble, though, like, it's not going to be 30 bangers walking down the aisle, right? right. Or 20 or 50 if it was the greatest. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think you're wrong in how you're thinking about that mid mid card as well. But having Hogan and, and Flair in the ring in the first time, uh, keep in mind, too, and I've said it many times, too, I didn't have access to NWA or WCW at the time, but was aware of it to see Flair come with the digitized big gold on WWF programming was huge. Like that never happened still to this day, barely happens that another uh, champion from another uh, federation or another company comes over with their belt. Um, 
Yeah, that was that was mind blowing that they actually allowed it <laughs> as much as they didn't at the time.